Hey listeners, welcome to 10x Growth Strategies podcast. This is your host Preeti Padmanabhan, technology executive, investor and board member. Today, we are going to talk about the book Anti-Fragile by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. We have a special guest today, Shalu Garg, who I connected with earlier this year. and we have become walking and dinner buddies shalu is the managing director at microsoft and worked at oracle in the past she's an active forbes contributor she's an inspiration to women around the world as the president and board of directors for un women silicon valley chapter welcome shalu Thank you, Preeti, and thank you very much for having me here and for the opportunity, of course. Excellent. We are going to have a fun conversation today, Shalu. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Excellent. You had an amazing career. Tell us about your journey and the key inflection points. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me just share with you a little bit about my current role, and then we'll go back in time. But I am currently at Microsoft, as you said. Um, I'm part of the initiative around unicorns and high tech pursuits. We typically go after late stage companies to build strategic partnerships. Prior to this role, I've spent many years in the early stage space. So either from an ecosystem development perspective, market launches, go to market, or investment. I've spent spent many years both at Microsoft as well as Oracle, as you said. And last year also launched a special offering around social impact entrepreneurs, which is one of the most needed things in our community today. And uh, prior to that, at Oracle, I was in mergers and acquisitions, go to market, um, cop dev. I mean, did some amazing stuff. But I guess um, you know, from an inflection point perspective, I've had many. When I started my career back at Oracle, uh, I joined mergers and acquisitions. And back then, if you, if you've been tracking the tech industry for a while, I was part of the team that acquired PeopleSoft, and it was ages ago. But it was an excellent experience. And when you're really young and early on in your career, you kind of try to find what you're passionate about what you're good at what you're not good at what you gravitate towards what you move away from and you know i always say this that whatever learnings i have today is is a part of something that i learned really early on in my career so i'll give you a very simple example when i was in mna i used to do spreadsheet analysis like i used to live breathe eat spreadsheets <laughs> and i always thought you know is this what my life is going to be all about just working on spreadsheets but that simple job that simple role around um analysis data analysis has helped me leaps and bound in my last few years in my career so key inflection point was i would say take what life has to offer to you because there's always a learning you may not apply that right away but in your career of course um you're likely to apply that and then the other thing preeti i will add is although i'm i'm born in india i grew up in middle east uh, my dad was a nautical engineer and we traveled quite a bit he used to build boeing 747s back in the day so when i was at middle in in the middle east um i remember my neighbor and i talk about this very openly when i do my work with un as well is um my neighbor is was a good friend of mine and i i clearly remember i used to go to school every day and she wouldn't 
And it really bothered me for the longest time that why is she not allowed to go to school, whereas her brothers are. Later found out that's because of the gender. And since then, it, it's shaped me to be the person who I am today. And most of the philanthropic work that I do around leveraging technology to make this world a slightly better place is purely emanating from that early life experience. So that for me has been a fundamental inflection point in my life, not necessarily in my career, but overall in the journey of my life. Inspiring, Shalu, inspiring nuggets there. I caught so many things. First of all, I think what you're doing at Microsoft is like a dream job for several people, being able to work with so many startups, being able to influence entrepreneurship uh, around the country. So kudos to you for that. Thank you, Preeti. And you're doing an awesome job yourself as well. I'm, I'm truly humbled and fortunate to be in the role that I am in today. Absolutely. And also, you talked about how things that happened early on in your career impacted yeah. the way you look at your life, simple lessons, small things you learned from your neighbor, and other techniques you learned on how you can be an effective contributor to the project. So great, great lessons there. So much to unpack. Now, let's look at the book, Anti-Fragile. You mentioned to me about the book a month back, and you said you're very passionate about the book. Why did you choose to read the book, Anti-Fragile? What does it mean to be anti-fragile? Yeah, so let me tell you how I came across this book. Um, my dad, who's no longer here in this world, he had gifted me The Black Swan, which is the other books of Taleb. Uh, back, you know, he had written... He's written some amazing books. And I remember reading Black Swan and I was like, what is this book? Like it just went above my head. And it was very difficult. And it could be because I was really early on in my career. And there, was, there were a lot of complex situations, real life, economical situations, which, which comes with wisdom and experience. And it was very difficult for me to comprehend and actually understand what the book had to communicate. So that was Black Swan. And then he suggested that I read Anti-Fragile. And I was like, that not happening. Then he did give this book to me. And it was just sitting on the shelf. I was like, no, I'm not. And I'm an avid reader. Like personally, every year I do pick, pick a few books that I want to read. And, you know, they're always in my bucket list. But this one never made up until a few years ago. And it was just sitting in my office, home office library. And I said, huh, interesting. Let me just read this. I was looking for something to read. And I got to tell you, it was one of the turning points in my life. It, it's just changed the way I not only look at business situations that we face on daily basis, but also in my personal life. So let me get to back to your question, like, what does it mean to be anti-fragile? The author, Taleb, he has a very simple philosophy. He says that some things benefit from shocks. Like usually as human beings, we tend to be very conservative. We tend to be always looking for what is it that we can do or remain within our comfort zone. He pushes us outside our comfort zone. And so he says, you know, some things benefit from shocks. They thrive, they grow when they, they're exposed to volatility randomness, disorders, stressors, like excellent, excellent example he gives us, like if you were to ship a box of wine glasses to somebody outside across Europe from US to Europe, 
you're probably going to put it in a box and label it fragile. What would you do if you had rocks in that box, hard rocks, and you were shipping it to somebody? Would you say anti-fragile? I mean, that's a big question that lingers around in the book. And so it's a very simple concept. It's basically, we know that fragile items need to be protected from volatile situations. However, the opposite of fragility is not robustness. It's actually anti-fragility. And so he goes deeper into it to say anti-fragile things are those that actually benefit from the volatile nature and the shocks, like a plant growing in a rough weather or a human body gaining strength after you've been injured. And so what is really, really meaningful and profound in this book is that fragile items typically break under stress. Anti-fragile items get better. In order for the system to be anti-fragile, most of the parts must be fragile. Again, very complex situation there. And then anti-fragile systems work because they built extra capacity when put under stress. They have gone through that, that craziness that has led them to be super strong and be where they are today. Very interesting. So what, what the author is saying is that when an anti-fragile system is subjected to stress, it actually becomes stronger and versus a fragile system would likely break, right? That's very interesting. And uh, let us unpack that a little bit, right? Because you you work in the startup world and things are full of chaos and uncertainty. Would love to hear any examples of an anti-fragile system and how all this chaos and other things caused it to become stronger? I get this question quite a bit. And I usually say like the best example we can give is COVID-2019 or COVID-19. There are different nomenclatures that are coming around it is, you know, COVID-19 actually was a wake up call for all of us, whether it was a personal life or professional life, it shook us down to our roots. And what it did was actually put, showed us a mirror and asked us, do you have the audacity? Do you have the caliber to face what's in front of you? If the answer is yes, then the question was, show me how. And if the answer was no, then you're just stepping out. So in a way, what happened last year in the entrepreneurship space, I'm just making it you know, relevant to that, is a lot of founders out there who actually were dependent on brick and mortar business or people interaction, so on and so forth, took a big hit. And they were left thinking, gosh, can I even survive? Now now that, you know, the business has taken a big hit, can I get through the storm? And I don't even know when COVID is going to end. So what do I do with my business? And that forced them to actually come up with creative solutions to either diversify what they were doing or continue the way they were doing business, eventually leading them to either bankruptcy or actually getting much better. And that's the beauty of being anti-fragile. In my view, it's, it's almost like, I'm giving you another example. If you're walking down the street and you just miss a step and you fall, it hurts. It pains really badly. But when you get up and you start taking a few steps, it's going to hurt a little more, a little more. And if everything is okay, if you don't have broken bones, 
eventually you're going to feel better, right? But the strength that you gain after that, there's a different thrill to it. And so that is where the phenomena of anti-fragile becomes extremely important. As, as I just mentioned, you know, human bones get stronger when subjected to stress and tension. And that's the beauty of life. And what Talib has identified and calls anti-fragile is that category of things that all not only gain from chaos, but need it in order to survive and flourish. And so just, just to give you a little, just to expand on this a little more, the anti-fragile system or the phenomena is actually immune to prediction errors and protected from adverse events. So there is no algorithm, there's no permutation and combination that's going to predict that, gosh, like in 2022, in February, XYZ is going to happen. There is no method to madness there. The simple thing is when and how things come or they break down, how does a human being react to that? And the whole phenomenon of anti-fragile actually depends on that. And the book actually spans innovation. I love that concept, which ties into, into innovation by trial and error, life decisions, politics, urban planning, war, personal finance, economic systems, medicine, and throughout all these facets of different shades that surround us, both in professional and personal life, how do you build that resilience and be ready for the next anti-fragile facet that's going to hit us? Yes, yes, certainly. I think you brought up a very good point about COVID-19, which took several of us by surprise. And uh, and we had to adapt, right? We had to step out yeah. of our comfort zone. We had to reinvent ourselves as a human race. <laughs> no, absolutely. Great, great. I mean, that's thanks for sharing that perspective. And there is another piece that Talib talks about that we can benefit from anti-fragility even if, if we don't understand everything. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? You know, it's very interesting. That's a great question, Preeti, because... Oftentimes in business situations, when we're hit with something, sometimes they, it doesn't make any sense, right? So I'll give you an example from my point of view. If I'm evaluating companies for investments or potential, let's say, is this a solution fit for an enterprise customer, right? You, you just don't know what you're getting into. You're using your intellect, you're using your experience, you're using your gut, but we most of the times do not have full exposure and wisdom to what's actually going to culminate. And so back to your question that how can we benefit from anti-fragility? And it's very important for us to understand this, especially in business scenarios, because we're making big bets, right? We are dealing with high amount of dollar investments, people, we tools, processes, technology, so on and so forth. So bottom line is, Anti-fragility is actually beyond resilience or robustness. You cannot, the buck does not stop at resilience. You cannot say, gosh, I'm resilient. I've had this awesome experience and I'm really good. And I know I can deal with this if it hits me. That's not what anti-fragility is. The resilient resist shocks and stays the same. The anti-fragile actually gets better with it. So next time if something hits me and I say, gosh, like I'm resilient, 
I can deal with this. That's not anti-fragility. But the fact that I've learned something out of it, that is what the method to madness here is. The second thing I would say is anti-fragility actually determines the boundary between what is living and what is complex or organic, as, as Talib says. And there is a whole, that's a whole different conversation. But he actually gets deeper into how you bifurcate the real life experiences versus the experiences that you have seen from other people's life. That's number two. The anti-fragile also loves randomness, um, uncertainty, errors, a certain class of errors. They love it. They, they strive on it. Um, they're, you know, it's almost like striving in ambiguity. Uh, last thing I would say is it also allows you to deal with the unknown and to do things without understanding them in a whole. So, for example, if you're getting into a project, you may not have answers to all the questions. You may not say, I mean, not 100% of the answers are on the table, but you may just walk in saying, you know what, I know 10%. And as we go through the process, we'll figure out the remaining and it's okay. It's fine. It's part of the learning process. It's trial and error. And so back to your question, Preeti, there's so much benefit in actually walking into that dark room with the mindset that even if I fail, I'm going to be okay. Great, great, Shalu. I loved how you talked about anti-fragile is beyond resilience. It's the ability for you to come back even more stronger and the ability to then, when it when a certain situation happens next time, you have the strength to take it further. Uh, great, great insights there. Uh, you talked about uncertainty and volatility, especially from a technology and a startup world perspective. And yeah. being in Silicon Valley, we are certainly quite familiar with that. I'd love to hear your perspective on what are some key strategies to succeed amidst that uncertainty in a startup world. I, uh, in my current role in the last few years, I'm constantly surrounded by founders who, who are passionate about the business that they're building. I mean, if I'm, let's put ourselves in a founder's shoes, right? It's their baby. It's, it's their vision. It's the solution that they believe in will solve a problem, right, is filling a gap. And they're very passionate about it. And I love that about founders. In fact, most of the time, anytime when I have a meeting with a founder, one of the first questions I ask them is, well, what is your story? Why are you doing this? And it's always intriguing to me that they always, most of the time, have something personal attached to the founding of the business, right? It could be volatile in nature. It could be uncertain. Like I'll, I'll give you a very simple example. I met this amazing founder from Pakistan actually last year when I was working in the social impact space. And I asked her, she was building a solution around, um, around educating young girls in a community. Now living here in the US, it's not like a big deal for us, but there it's a big deal. And I remember asking her, I'm like, why are you doing this? Like you're so passionate about it. She, she was looking for funding, could not get funding because people wouldn't take her seriously. And I just asked her, I said, Sana, like, what is your driving factor? What you're doing today? Why are you doing it? And she gave me a very simple response. She said, it's because my mother was not allowed to go to school. But when I was of the school going age, she made sure that I would go to school. And this is my way of giving back to my community. 
And so back to your question, volatility, uncertainty is part of life. You don't know what's going to come to you. And so the key strategies, back to your question, to succeed amidst all this uncertainty that surrounds us, the biggest one, the big number one for me, and I always follow this personally and encourage others to do is follow your passion. If you know what your passion is, you can never go wrong with your wrong with your passion because it's fire in the belly. It will keep you up day and night. Of course, you got to take care of your health, but it'll keep you up day and night. And it will always, always encourage you, encourage you to keep moving forward. There is nothing that can stop you. And that is the big number one. That's a big fat number one, which is follow your passion. Believe in what you're doing. Believe in your self-ability, your self-caliber, and your ability to drive change no matter what you're doing. That's number one. Number two, I would say is assess change and make adjustments, which is be flexible, right? So for example, if you've shifted the strategy, how can you tell if the change is going to be effective? What are the leading and trailing indicators of success or failure? Are they different than what they were before? The other example I'll give you is, you know, if you froze hiring, for example, and if you're a startup, what would make you green light your first hires again? How do you assess the risk of losing the momentum versus the risk of overextending financially, right? And these are very, very, you know, as I'm speaking, you may just say, yeah, you know, it's easy to figure out, but they're very thought-provoking decisions that you need to make, uh, especially in the startup space. So assess change and make adjustments, like be ready to be flexible. The next thing I would say is, which is very important, and it's a very widely talked about topic, especially in our community today, right? The world that we live in today is handle mental fatigue. Do not ever take that for granted. If you can go days without sleep and surviving on coffee or whatever you enjoy, that's not good. That's definitely not good. So the questions that I would encourage you to ask yourself is how well do you structure self-care, time off, ways of disconnecting? How do you think of time, time off, vacation, when travel, you know, when you're really traveling, when you're on time off, what exactly are you doing to actually take that time off? Are you just sitting by the pool with your laptop and doing your emails? Sorry, that's not time off, right? And so these are very basic questions that we need to ask ourselves. And I I remember meeting um, a very, very, very inspiring female CEO earlier this year. And she she and I were generally chatting and she asked me a question. She, She said, if your life was like this for a year, what would you need to change to make it work, right? And there are so many things, so many thoughts that come to our mind. Um, and, you know, once again, handling mental fatigue is very critical. So those are my top three. And I can go on and on, Preeti, but those are definitely my top top three. Nice, nice. I heard be passionate, be flexible, and self-care, handling the mental fatigue, Uh, Those are great lessons, Shalu. And I think from your own career and what you talked about, about your life and and how you were very passionate about what you did, both from a work front and your nonprofit work you're doing with you. And I can certainly see you as a role model for that. 
and the ability to be flexible. And we, we, we also talk about how we take into meditation as a way yeah. to handle fatigue and self-care. Uh, great, great inputs uh, for the audience here. I have an interesting question here. Uh, the author talks about the turkey problem. When I first heard it, I was like, what is the turkey problem, right? Yeah. He talks about right, how the turkey is hanging out during Thanksgiving, just oblivious to the fact that it can actually become dinner the next day. Yeah. And so the fact is that the inability to predict the future based on past is something startups and companies will need to prepare for. Yeah. And that's needed for them to increase their odds of success. So tell us about how can one prepare for the future without that actual knowledge or that eight ball to look into? The turkey uh, problem is very, very visible throughout the book and I actually enjoyed it. You know, initially I was trying to piece it together. But as the book, as, as if you're reading the book, I will highly encourage you to just hold tight and it's just an amazing concept that Talib talks about. He says that, think about it. A turkey is fed for a thousand days by a butcher, right? He uses like 600, 700,000 days, whatever the number of days. But the bottom line is for a long time. And then every day confirms to its staff that, hey, I went there. Did you feed the turkey? And the staff says, yes, I did. So for the butcher, it is very important to feed the turkey. Right. And if he or she is not able to feed the turkey directly, they make sure that someone else does. And the confidence continues to build that, yes, the turkey is doing great. The turkey is healthy. It's doing amazing. Right. And then the butcher will keep feeding the turkey until a few days before Thanksgiving. And then comes the day when it is not really a very good idea to be a turkey. Right. All of a sudden, you're on the chopping block. And the butcher himself or herself is surprised that it's going to be one of those days when the turkey is just going to be chopped, right? And that becomes your dinner. That becomes your Thanksgiving dinner. So it's a very interesting analogy. He actually, Talib talks about innovation economy, which is a term that I often use, you know, in most of the articles and blogs that I have written. I love the term innovation economy. And he talks about how you monetize change, right? How do you monetize the stuff that's on the paradigm? What are you betting on? So if you are really the turkey and you know that your days are limited, how are you going to plan your days? Now, of course, you know, turkey is limited in the sense it can't fly away, but, or maybe it can, but bottom line is, it's a very interesting analogy that Talib draws that you constantly, even though you're being fed, and fed, he actually compares to being successful. So if you're a company and you're doing amazingly well and you're like, gosh, like, I am good. I'm looking really good. I'm looking healthy. My company is doing great. People are happy. And we have an amazing forecast, so on and so forth. Be prepared for the unknown. Always, always be walking on that water. He uses a term I'm phasing out on it, but it's almost like be prepared for the unknown. And I love that comparison, right? And that's what the world is all about, especially the world of entrepreneurship. When you're actually taking a solution, a dream, a vision, 
and building a full-blown business out of it, right? And then perhaps taking the company IPO one day, like Preeti, your company, Freshworks, just went IPO. Congrats on that, right? And that's exactly what we are doing here is getting prepared for the unknown. And the unknown can be positive or negative. We just have to be, be, be prepared for it. But I, I think that's a absolutely phenomenal thing that he describes in the book. Excellent. And thank you. Thank you, Shara. It was certainly a great experience to go through the IPO process and prepare for the unknown, uh, certainly. And uh, it's certainly uh, what uh, we now consider as day zero uh, for the next phase of the company. Where That's great. Right? The next phase of growth. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation, Shalu. I'd love to hear your top three takeaways or words of wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners. There is, uh, gosh, there are a lot of things that I took away from that book. In fact, interestingly, I apply a few principles from that book into my professional life now. Not every time, but it, you know, I, I get reminded of, hey, you know, that's what the book said. So I have quite a few, but I'll tell you the ones that are top of mind for me. The number one thing, which I, and I love the wording around this is, what kills me makes others stronger. So embrace chaos. I, I just simply, simply love this. Usually, I think if, if you're into phrases, I do a lot of, I read a lot of quotes and poems, poetry out there. And the quote is, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, right? That's a well-known quote out there. But what Palib says is, what kills me makes others stronger. And it's all about when something random happens, and it's too late to change. Embrace it. Just pause. Don't get anxious. Don't get stressed out. Just embrace it. Soak it in. And this is, and, and the reason he says this is immortality means perfect prediction of the future because every potential random event needs to be countered or resisted. And he gives a very interesting example, actually referring to the startup space. He says, hey, if you're a founder and you have this idea and you go and build a business, you, you start looking for funding, you're still in pre-seed and nobody gives a damn about what you're doing. And then finally, a couple of years ago, you just decide to close shop and you just move on to the next different thing. Guess what? You may have lost out of it, but someone else is gaining out of it. And the reason is someone else has looked at your failure and said, I don't want to go down that path because someone else has been on that path and they have not been successful. So once again, what kills me makes others stronger. And so the other person who's looking at you fail is saying, gosh, I don't want to go do that anymore. I want to try something else. Let me see what I can do or maybe iterate on what's already there. So I think it's, it's very interesting. And he uses, he uses the word loser. And he actually says, you know, his definition of a loser is someone who after making a mistake doesn't learn from it. So a loser is not someone who's lost the game. A loser is someone who's lost the game and has just not learned anything from it or doesn't even try to exploit it and tries to explain the mistake away. I mean, it's just almost like, gosh, I failed, but here are the 10 reasons why I failed. And it's always about me, me, me. It's not about learning what you actually got from it. So that's that's my number one thing. I, I just love that. And personally, you know, in my, in, throughout my career, I've always, anytime that I've really wanted something and I have not got it, whether it's, 
you know, whether it's a deal, whether it's a partnership, whether whatever it is, I've always looked at the situation and said, why have I not succeeded in this? And what can I learn from it? Yes, I'm a loser, but let me take something from here so that next time I'm not making the same mistake. And hopefully someone will look at me and not do the same thing that I did. That's number one. Number two is, um, you know, he uses the word losers again. And again, I think his heart is in the right place, but he says that history is written by losers. And he states that the industrial revolution going back in time, specifically the technical knowledge and the innovation that went in the industrial revolution was actually not led by the academia. It was led by, by the hobbyists, by the, you know, at that time, the English reactor, so on and so forth. So what he says is, while corporations, big corporations, they like to make strategic plans, there is no evidence that they actually work, right? And in fact, most of it is all theoretical approaches in management that have been debunked during empirical testing. So, you know, you can keep writing and writing and doing whatever plans you want to make, but until it's executed and it's well-preserved for future generations, for someone to look at and say, gosh, I want to do that. I want to follow that business model because they were successful. That is what success means. That's number two. And then number three is skin in the game. And it's, you know, if you just Bing search Talib and skin in the game, there are a lot of, lot of talks around this. And I love the concept that he explains about skin in the game. It's actually a solution um, to the transfer of fragility between individuals. And, And what this means is every person making a prediction needs to be exposed to the downside. So for example, those advocating for war, I'm just giving you a simple example, should have at least one descendant or family member exposed to fighting. And guess what? That's going to change your perspective about a war because now you have skin in the game. Now you have your own family member who's going to be part of this war. And so it's it's just absolutely phenomenal how he talks about getting skin in the game to actually go win that war. And then that's what changes your perspective about the about war. Of course, you know, it's metaphoric, but how the whole situation, how you view the whole situation. So with that, you know, I can go on and on, Preeti, but I, I just want to quote one thing that he says, and I'm, I'm just, um, you know, I've written it down here. He says, suckers try to win arguments, non-suckers try to win. So suckers, as back to my earlier point, you can, you can try to self-defend and say, gosh, I failed because, you know, I was not feeling well or I was down with this, blah, 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 whereas non-suckers actually spend their time trying to win. That's a great way to finish the conversation, Shalok. Great, great inputs. So certainly let's all become learners, not losers. And uh, certainly go forward and, you know, continue to learn and and become anti-fragile further and further. It was great to have you on the podcast, Shalok. Listeners, anti-fragile, check out the book. And thanks again, Shalok, for joining us here today. Thank you for having me, Preeti. I appreciate it.